I didn't learn on, so they had to take a mask off and put a microphone on. Um, that one of our, our things that we adhere to as we have reopened is to make sure that we're all wearing masks unless we're speaking from the front and we have clear distance, but really hadn't practiced that move. So bear with me. Um, this is my first Sunday back since being on maternity leave. Stressful. 
Um, the faith community there encountered it on a daily basis uh, through their society, through their culture, just by being Christ followers. And we've been looking at this letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians and uh, how it speaks to how we can find joy today, even right where we are, even in the midst of some difficult times. Um, and today we're going to be closing out the letter and how it, you know, it's speaking to a community that is being persecuted. And that is their stressor. But we, we're also encountering some stressors in our lives. Even if we've become accustomed to, so to speak, the pandemic, we may be anxious about the economy. We may be anxious about the election. We may be anxious just about the loss that we have experienced in this time. And I know that as we have journeyed through this letter, that has spoken to um, just the situation of an ancient community. I hope that you realize that some things never really change, do they? That life can be stressful, life can be hard, um, even without the stressors that we're experiencing right now. And so this is an artist's rendition of Philippi. Kevin's been talking to you a little bit about the culture of history. If you haven't checked into those sermons, I encourage you to do so. You can find those online. Um, and kind of follow along with where we've been. Um, but this is an artist rendition of what it would have looked like as a colony of Rome. And this is kind of the ruins that stand still today um, of that community and that faith community that Paul helped to found. Um, and he's writing to them as a reminder that Paul himself, while he's not in Philippi enduring this persecution that they are, he's enduring his own problems. He's in prison. He's writing to them from very difficult circumstances. But he's doing so with great joy. I hope that you, if you've been following along with us, that you've picked up on this theme in this letter, his great joy. And he's going to speak to that today uh, in the passage that we're going to look at closely. Um, but these are some of the, the renditions or mock-ups of what that might have looked like um, for him to be in prison. Um, but just thinking about that, that somebody writing to you, from prison to encourage you. Think about that. Think about that kind of joy that you must have internally, that you are the one in prison and you are offering hope to another. And so when I hear people say, I don't have much to offer, I think, you know, Paul didn't have much to offer in way of his circumstances, but he had great joy to offer in the truth that he knew through Jesus Christ. And so we've been looking through this letter Kevin has walked us through that the marvel of the Christian life is love. The model is Christ. And the motion is pressing on, or what I like to think of as grit or perseverance. And we're having to really dig into that these days, aren't we? And then finally today, we're going to be looking at what are the marks? What are the evidence, so to speak? What should we be experiencing? What should we also be demonstrating? in our life as a Christ follower. And that is joy and peace. And I don't invite you, but I can always use more of those two things. And today we're going to be specifically looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. And as we've mentioned, this church knew suffering. They knew hardship. Um, that they were a community at odds with their larger society. That that Philippi, being a Roman colony, they had a lot of retired military who were very patriotic. And one way that you demonstrated your patriotism was to worship the emperor. Think about that, you know, worship your government official. And the Christians didn't do that. They declared that Jesus was Lord. And so they were already in opposition, and this put them at odds with their community and their relationships. And so they are just enduring this kind of stress. And maybe we can identify with just living in stressful times. You know, we're in a you know, pandemic that I know we're tired of talking about, aren't we? Now our small talk is consumed with this these days. But the reality is it's not going away anytime soon. We've just come through a hellacious election season. We're looking at an economy that is in some ways, very heartbreaking as well. And many of us are just experiencing isolation. And 
kind of experts are describing that what we are experiencing emotionally is that we have depleted what's called a surge capacity. A surge capacity is that adaptive system that we have to be able to mentally and physically and emotionally deal with stressful circumstances. And most often this is seen with a natural disaster, like a fire, huge fires, seen with a hurricane, flooding. And this surge capacity that we have allows us to meet the challenge. But the, cha the problem with understanding surge capacity, most of our kind of thoughts on it, our understanding of it comes from natural disasters that are, for the most part, short term, even if the recovery itself is long term. And this pandemic seems to be going on indefinitely, doesn't it? We don't have a defined end. And this adds to the stress that we're encountering in this. And we're depleted. And we need renewal. We need to renew that capacity to deal with what we're going through. And it doesn't help that this kind of emergency phase continues to extend. Now, months ago, I can't remember. This is months ago. This is pre-birth of Adam. I can remember saying to someone, I am so over this. I am so over this and it is not over. The novelty has worn off, hasn't it? You know, there's something to be said when there's a new challenge. You feel like a sense of accomplishment. Like I figured out how to grocery shop again. I figured out how to navigate my life. I know to, you know, you know, the joke about checking before you leave the house. Glasses, wallet, keys, mask. Mask. Yes, I have multiple in my purse now, just in case I forget one. So I feel like this sense of kind of, okay, I figured out my new routine, new habits. But the reality is, I've never been through a pandemic, have you? I'm only 44, y'all. And we are still beginners in this. And I'll be honest, I do nothing well as a beginner. I really don't. And that is adding to our stress, adding to our anxiety, is trying to figure out something new. It takes away from our mental energy because we have to make new decisions, we have to gather new information. We are on information overload, aren't we? Renee Brown calls this experience of being a beginner again as the terrific or the terrible first time. It's terrible. Like, none of us are going to be experts in this. So our anxiety, our anger, our frustration, our exhaustion, our sadness is, is very universal and incredibly human. And a typical experience, say, with a surge capacity, with a natural disaster, is that you have physical evidence of what's going on. You can see the damage. You can understand it in some ways. I've participated in a number of opportunities to go and provide some recovery help. One in particular was to New Orleans after Katrina. And I went actually a couple years after the hurricane. And the city's still recovering in some ways. And you could still see evidence of the wreckage. You could see what the storm had taken, what the storm had destroyed. And one of the things that most hit me, and I'm, I'm taking a group of youth, you know, 60 teenagers through New Orleans. And one of the days that we had kind of ended our work early was an opportunity to kind of explore the night sport. And we took them through the community. And this is what struck me the most is these are concrete steps of where a house used to be. And you see this all over the place. There. After. That they had actually cleaned up. So this is better looking. But what those steps represent is the loss. This was a house, probably a family raised, maybe multiple generations there. And these steps now go to nowhere. So you can see the loss. And there's something powerful in being able to see it. I can remember when my mom passed away in the hospital and they asked me, do you want to see the body? And it was really hard. But there was something 
going into that curtained space and having them draw back the sheet and seeing my mom's body and knowing she's not there. She's not there. This is her body, but that is not her. And so there's something about being able to have that closure, that, that visible end, visible sign of loss. We don't have that, do we, so much? We feel very disconnected, very isolated. It's almost like having, having a loved one with dementia. This unability to solve our problems. And this is really challenging for those of us who are high achievers, those of us who really pride ourselves on problem solvers. We can't solve this right now. And we add to this the fact loss of life. And everyone has experienced the loss of our social life, maybe even a trust in, in the systems that we utilize every day, our government, our trust in just the freedom to move around, even our trust in education, that it'll be quality. Our valued rituals like weddings and funerals are, are way different. I, I've seen so many young people that I knew as teenagers who are now young adults who have had to change their wedding plans dramatically. Some have done it really well, but I, my heart breaks for them. So managing this is going to require creativity. And we've probably utilized a lot of creativity leading up to this, and it's going to take even more. Because those things that we are attached to and fond of are are not available to us right now. And I believe that Paul's words to us in this letter to the Philippians, the letter to this church, have some ways that we can manage this. See, his words to this faith community that living in anxious times seem, seem powerful and somewhat jarring because as we look at chapter 4, and we start with verse 4, his immediate words a rejoice. I don't know about you, but when somebody tells me to rejoice, or it's usually not rejoice, because that's a, a different word for us at times, it's like, oh, perk up. Look on the bright side. Makes me want to punch somebody. Because I'm not feeling so joyful. I'm not feeling it. But Paul repeats it. So we know it's not a typo. We know it's like, hey guys, we really meant to say rejoice. No, it says rejoice twice. Rejoice. And the thing is, he's not telling them to rejoice in their circumstances. He's telling them to rejoice in spite of their circumstances. 
Because they're not rejoicing in the situation that they're in, they're rejoicing in the Lord. And that phrase is important for us to like hold on to. Rejoice in the Lord always. So no matter your circumstances, your situations, hold to this joy. Because for us sometimes it's hard to think about that. But I think that's why Paul in this letter starts by talking about Christ. If you were with us a few weeks ago, and Kevin talked about this, this passage in chapter 2 that's described as a, a poem or a Christ hymn. It's all about what Christ has done. And when we rest in that, that is the source of our joy, not our circumstances. We can still be sad, we can still be angry, but we also have this joy that we can draw from. And this genuine Christian joy is not inward-looking so much. It comes from the truth of knowing Christ, and that is an inward, often experience, but it should come outward as well. And I think that's why he encourages them to also be gentle. Let your gentleness be evident. So this joy should produce a gentleness in, in our actions, in who we are. So we should be also not only experiencing it, but also sharing it. Caring for the interests of others. Extending this gentleness to others. And the interesting thing is that those who study surge capacity say that we often need to look outward. We need to do little things or big things to help others because that helps renew that capacity to deal with the situation. It's not funny. It's how scripture is lining up And I also believe that we need to extend this gentleness to ourselves. Let me explain. Scripture speaks to us needing to love God, which is the greatest command, to love God and to love others as ourselves. Often we shorten it to love God and love others, but as ourselves is in there, and that's important because we can only love others as much as we can love ourselves. And in the midst of this crisis, I believe that we need to offer ourselves some grace. We need to lower our expectations of ourselves with what we're able to accomplish because our circumstances are so challenging. Even if we are physically well, our mental capacity is just kind of done. So we need to be gentle with ourselves as well as others. Because when we limit the love we extend to ourselves, we limit what we're able to offer to others. And so, I'm giving you permission in this season to expect a little less of yourselves in terms of what you're able to accomplish and to do. Especially since we're living with so many of our support systems and without them. That they're either not there or they're barely there. You know, our schools, even the opportunity to visit with family, to travel, to take a break. All these things look very different and not what we're used to drawing on. And as we grieve the loss of these things, even if it's a temporary loss, it needs to grieve that we need to, to understand it about ourselves and others. So offering that grace to ourselves and everyone that we encounter. You know, thinking about, you know, sometimes you walk into a place and everybody seems to be difficult and angry. No wonder. How can we offer grace and kindness in those situations? And so it's this rejoicing that we are to extend, that we are to live into and offer to others is out there. That if we are celebrating Jesus, celebrating who he is, what he has done, and we are doing that joyfully as well as gently, in our lives, extending kindness in that way. Then there are some other things that will come in line that I think will renew us. And Paul describes this in verses 6 through 9 in chapter 4. We're going to keep moving forward. And he starts with kind of you know, the idea of starting first with prayer. Prayer that overcomes our anxious circumstances. And then he'll move into just even our thought life. The patterns of thought that celebrate God's goodness throughout creation. And then a style of life, a lifestyle that lives out the gospel, that our 
our physical action display the gospel for all. And so starting with, with verse 6, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Paul uses four words to describe prayer. And it's kind of giving the full richness of what a prayer life can look like, but also the importance of it in a believer's life. But there's not only those things we put to God, you know, these are the things I'm anxious about, Lord, help me in this, but also places to request and petition and give thanks. That this conversation with the loving God, which is what prayer is, simply that conversation with God, should represent everyday areas of our lives. It's not just the big stuff, maybe even the little stuff. Everything can be offered to God because if it matters to you, it matters to God. And with this comes a promise. The peace of God, which transcends understanding. Now, have you ever been in a situation which is stressful or chaotic and you are calm? You're calm and you don't understand why you are calm in the midst of it. That is the peace of God. It doesn't necessarily always change the circumstances we're in, but it changes our response to those circumstances. That deep peace of God will come and guard our hearts and our minds. It doesn't necessarily always take away the stress. It doesn't calm the storm, but it calms the storm within us. The interesting thing is, is when he starts this verse, do not be anxious. That this word for anxious is often used in situations of persecution. How appropriate for this church. That in spite of their persecution, think about the one thing that should be pushing their faith down. That in spite of it, they are to live their faith. They are to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. I believe fully that joy and peace will come to us when we engage in this kind of prayer life, particularly when we offer thanksgiving, when we offer gratitude. That joy and peace for me come from a life that when I am engaged actively in being grateful. And I think that's so hard in the midst of what we are doing and yet so critical, so important. It is what is going to stand between us and be fair at times. And I want to offer a quick note on this, is that when we start to engage in giving thanks, especially to God, that we don't do this mental trick. And that is putting at least in your words. At least I have my help. You have just diminished, you've just minimized what you have by putting that at least in it. We do this all the time, and it's, it's sometimes a very helpful tool to gain perspective, but it's not a helpful tool for cultivating gratitude and thanks. You've just diminished what you've kind of offered to God. You know, thank you, God, for my family. At least they're all healthy. Thank you, God, for my family and their health. Cut those words out. Don't minimize your gratitude. Emphasize it. Because gratitude, interestingly enough, actually will change our brains. It keeps us healthier, it keeps us healthier. And expressing gratitude is, is a powerful tool to deal with our anxious circumstances. And hear me on this, this is about circumstances, situations, not diagnosed anxiety that you're working with your doctor on. I believe that offering gratitude can be coupled with medicine in those areas, but I'm speaking directly right now today to anxious circumstances and situations that we're all dealing with, not diagnosed anxiety. Because then, when we engage in this prayer life, where we offer our worries to God, where we offer what really we feel we need to Him, and we offer to Him our thanksgiving, we find the peace of God. 
that transcends that understanding, that suddenly becomes just that bedrock of who we are. And as we come to the end of this passage here, we come to verses 8 and 9, and it's about what we think and how we act. That starting with it, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever is excellent, Paul goes on and on about good things, virtuous things. And the thing is, he doesn't qualify this. He doesn't say only Christian things. Whatever. He opens the door wide for us to be able to look at the created world and go, what is good here? Shifting our attention to what is good. It's a practice. To shift our minds in that way, isn't it? To look for the good. I mean, so often it's so easy to fall into the place of worry. But to look for what's good. Right now, we're, we're in fall. One of my favorite seasons. I love watching the trees. I love watching nature just unfold this beautiful tapestry for me. It's for me. It's not for me. You can enjoy it, but it's really for me, y'all. And I just think of we need to take more of those moments to stop and pause. And maybe it's just looking at that one tree on your block that is just gorgeous with its colors. But then take it an step when the leaves do fall. Just how the tree gives that up in order to produce new life next season. Just the beauty of it. And if you're not a nature freak, looking for the good, looking for the kindness out there, Noticing when people help each other. Looking not for the negative news, but some of the good news out there. Looking for how people are taking care of one another and celebrating them. The battle is won in the mind. The battle is won in the mind. And if we continue to focus on what is bad, what is the problem, we've lost the battle. Look for things that give life. Notice them, share them. I've, I've been watching as people have been posting on social media that they put their Christmas lights up. They put their Christmas tree up. And I think, hallelujah. I think, does this bring you joy? It's beautiful. Like, people are grabbing on to what is giving them joy. And, and so many people are like, they're purists. They're like, I don't want to cheat the turkey. Cheat the turkey. Put the lights up. It makes you happy. The other night I was driving my kids back from daycare, and it's dark, because it's Ohio, and it's dark. But this one business had already decorated for Christmas. And you can look in through the windows, and the lights are up. And it was so beautiful. I just, I had to pause and take joy in it. And it's just a simple thing. But look for the good. Look for the things that may bring you joy. And think on those things. Because sometimes we're tempted when we're in, in hard circumstances to just reject the whole world, aren't we? Oh, you know, my place is in heaven. I don't need to worry about this place. John 3.16, which we quote ad nauseum but never really pay attention to. For God so loved the world. God loves this world. And there is some beauty in it that we need to recognize more and more and that we can affirm on a daily basis. Reflect on the wonderful and lovely things of the world. And if you can't see them, ask God to show you them. Start in that prayer time. God, show me some good today. My friend Dave does this all the time. He starts his day off. He says, show me the good today. Our thought life matters. Chesterton. I'm going backwards. Chesterton was a writer, wrote some devotional materials that are still read today. Powerful thinker on faith. And this is what he says. I maintain that thanks are the highest form of thought. Think about what we just talked about with our prayer life and giving thanks. Thanks are the highest form of thought. When we think about those good things, we are actually 
giving thanks to God about the good things in this world, in this created world. And that gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. Doubled by wonder. I could use a little more happiness. But when we engage in this prayer life that has gratitude in it, and we engage in a thought life that focuses on the good, we see happiness doubled. And so when we follow this, this pattern of thought, I believe we better engage in, in Paul's kind of final words in this passage, is to follow a pattern of behavior. That Paul, who I think is one of the boldest men ever, because this statement, I think, is probably one of the, the hardest challenges, hardest, hardest ethical challenges in Scripture. And it's not so much for those of us who hear it, but the one who offers it. Because Paul says, follow what you learn from me. Live out what you learn from me. I don't know many times that I am willing to tell people, yeah, if you don't know what it is to be a Christ follower, just imitate me. I fall short all the time. I get angry a lot. I do things that I, I wish I could take back. But I love the boldness of Paul's words because I think we need to get to a place in our lives where we ourselves are there too. That we know that we are imitating Jesus enough that another could imitate us and get closer to Jesus. And so in following these words, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me, put it into practice. This is one of my favorite words, practice. I tell myself this all the time. I am practicing because it reminds me that I haven't arrived and that I don't have to be perfect in it. I'm practicing my faith. I'm taking risks in order to grow, but I don't have to be perfect. And so we practice that faith. We live it out. And sometimes, this, especially in this situation, it's about maintaining and extending ourselves in relationships. What we are going through right now are anxious times. We need more than ever to maintain our relationships. And it's challenging because our normal systems for maintaining relationships have pretty much been taken from us, haven't they? We need to be creative in this. We need to look for ways to help others, to reach out to them on a daily basis. This is one of the things that we can create in our behaviors that's maybe new for us but so critical to our well-being and to others. I have family friends who are 70 and 90, the mother and daughter who have been a part of my life since I was five weeks old. They are dear friends. They love my children, and I can't see them. And I can tell it's really hard on them. And they do have an emotion. They have, a, they have emotional support from a community. But I realize that I need to be part of that on a regular basis. I need to call them weekly and touch base. I was talking to our, um, the daughter this week, and she just was like, I bet the kids are so big now. We haven't seen them for months. And they've seen pictures of Adam and sent them some, and I'm like, you know what? I, I need to send more pictures. And that's just a simple act on my part but it's a way to extend joy to them. It's a way to encourage them in the midst of all of this. That's one thing I'm trying to think of and look for, is how can I creatively engage in relationships that I already have as well as begin new ones, to offer hope, to offer joy to others, to share what I do have, to be gentle with one another, and as a church, we have a, an interesting opportunity. Um, we, as, uh, as a church, one of the things that we've been doing is actually offering our space um, on a regular basis to a group of foster parents to come in and, and resource each other. And, and as a foster parent, I haven't participated in this is through another foster agency than mine, but I can tell you as a foster parent, 
You need as much support as you can get. I am so fortunate that I have a wonderful family, a wonderful group of friends, and a wonderful church community that supports me. But we have opened our places. This is one of the things that your generosity actually empowers us to do. And the agency that we work with in this, that we kind of open our space to regularly to allow for this to happen, has asked if we would help them with another project they do on a regular basis every year. And that is to collect Christmas gifts for some of their foster children. And they do this because the families that they're in love them, they provide for them, but they're stretched thin as well. And so they just want to look for ways that they can offer hope to these children. And the hard thing is that their normal avenue for doing this, they did this, the tags on a tree. Well, most places have taken their, you know, tags on a tree away because of COVID. And so they've been shut off from that avenue. And they've asked in the woods, would people in your congregation consider adopting one of our kids for Christmas? This would involve, you know, the kids write a list of nine things, and they're all under, I think, you know, 50 or $30. I forget the amount, but it, it's not extravagant. They're not looking for complete game systems here, folks. And they write a list of things from which that, you know, you could pick from and go purchase for them and help that foster family bring joy into that life of that foster child. I can tell you as a foster parent, I have learned so much in, in being a foster parent, but also just about the system itself. And there's a lot of good people in it, and there's a lot of need. And so my challenge to us is maybe this is something that we can do as a community, is to adopt some of these kids you know, we can send you a tag, kind of virtually, if that's your preference. You'll get a list of things, you pick from it, shop from it, we'll find a way to even do a contactless drop-off. This has come to us rather, you know, in the last week, and so we're still trying to work out some of the details, but I want you to pray about this. This is a way for us to pattern our behavior in ways of kindness, especially in light of what we're all going through. And it's a way to offer hope in a creative way. And so my challenge to you about this is to pray. Start with prayer. Start with where our verses start for today. Start with prayer. Is this something that you want to do? And then if so, step into it. Live out this faith. Pattern your behavior. This is just one of the opportunities out there that we wanted to step into as a church to do. Because when, when we take the time to engage in a prayer that is powerful because it is centered on God, what he's done for us, as well as giving thanks for that, we then have this amazing ability then to engage in our faith in ways that are, are unexpected. That when we take the time to reflect on Christ, on his gift to us, of the incarnation, big churchy word we use to describe that God took on flesh, that when we reflect on the incarnation, what God has done for us, then we can engage in behavior that reflects the incarnation. Friends, we are living in anxious, confusing times. And we need now more than ever God's spirit and the practice of our faith to renew us, to give us strength to weather this. Verse 12 says to us, rejoice. Rejoice in who God is and what he's done for us. Celebrate the God of peace and experience the peace of God. Extend some gentleness to yourself and others. And in that prayer life, talk to God about what makes you anxious, what worries you. Lay it down before him. But also remember to give thanks. Look for the good. And then do some good. Amen. It seems fitting that we kind of wrap our time up with 
boxes and animal crackers. It's one of the easiest ways that we can keep things safe. But isn't that sometimes what our faith asks of us, is to humble ourselves, to humble ourselves like a child. You know, I think about my children, three under three. They get carried around, put there, done this. They, they have very little control over their lives. So much of their life is very humbling. Um, I think our diapers changed, okay? It's a humbling experience for everyone involved. But this is also what communion reminds us of, is that Christ humbled himself. The God of the universe took on flesh, humbling himself in the form of humanity, putting aside all of his rights and privileges for our sake. think this is what our passage starts with with us. It's when we truly think about it, when we allow ourselves to feel it, we carry it with us farther. And so, while we are not pouring juice into a cup, maybe the straw is a little, a little humbling for you like it is for me right now, I told myself I would prepare these things in advance, and I didn't. So you wouldn't see me wrestle with a straw. But it's what it is. But we take juice. You know? Juice that needed to be crushed. Creating deep grace in this situation. It's juice. So that we can partake of it. Representing Christ's blood that would be poured out for us for our sake. So I invite you with your elements that you have, and um, if you're with us at home, use whatever is at hand. Because again, what is what is this representing for us? What is the thought behind us? What is the emotion, the connection, the reminder for us of giving thanks to God? Now we have juice to remind us of an outpouring of blood shed on our behalf. I invite you to taste and see that God is good in the form of your, your juice box. In the same way, we have an element that represents his body. Broken for us so that we may know life. That he experienced death so that we wouldn't have to. So that in this life that we know, we would experience eternal life. That we would die to ourselves to know life in him that does not end. But this always offers us the opportunity to reflect on his work on the cross. It's not the way we may always want to engage in this practice, and yet it is offered to us to do. It is a place where we can meet God if we so choose. Then we can embrace what he offers us. And so for us today, I invite you to consider, as you leave this place, how you engage in a prayer life that is grounded in gratitude. How you extend that into your thought life to look for the good and affirm the 
celebrated. We're rejoicing in who God is and who his creation is. And then to do some good. To consider ways that you can extend that beyond yourself to others. Let me pray for us before we depart. Gracious Lord, allow us to see your glory today. Allow us to see the beauty in your created world, whether it is in nature, whether it is in humanity, to see the kindness that others extend to each other, whether it is in just the simplicity of our day. I ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes, our minds, our thoughts to all that you have for us, that we may celebrate it, that we may carry it with us, even in the midst of our trials, our challenges, our stresses, that we would know that, Lord, you are God. And that, in spite of our circumstances, you are with us. That the God of peace waits to allow us to experience the peace of God. I ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, friends, if you are interested in this opportunity to help a foster child at Christmas, you're welcome to send me an email or call the church. Um, we're going to work on the details this week. But this is just an opportunity, I think, where we get to practice our faith in a new way this season. So with that, go. Have a great week. Be blessed. Amen.